Good morning, everyone. And happy New Year's or New Year's Eve. I know you guys uh, all chose to be here instead of about 10, 15 miles away, crowded around a couple thousand people with no bathrooms in the cold. So thank you for making the sacrifice to being here. Um, some of you guys may enjoy that. That sounds like a nightmare to me. So I'd much rather be with room to spread, room to walk around, and plenty of bathrooms. So thank you, but happy New Year's. And I'll say it now, so I won't say it at the end, but I'll see you guys all next year. Um, you have to get it out there in the beginning. But as I was thinking about what to preach on, and originally I was going to preach about two weeks ago, and I was praying about that, and I had an idea in my mind, and then Lee came to me and said, actually, would you mind preaching on the 31st? And I, was, I said yes, but in my mind I was like, no, I don't want to. Because I already had an idea in my mind. I already had notes written down. And honestly, going into this year, I was thinking about what to talk about. And the only thing that kept coming back to my mind was, it's New Year's Eve. What does everyone do around the time of New Year's? We create New Year's resolutions. Raise your hand if you ever made a resolution before. Now keep your hand raised if you ever actually did that resolution. <laughs> oh, one person. That is absolutely amazing. That's about what the stats say. The stats, the highest number I could find was 8% of people actually follow through their New Year's resolution. When the reality of it was most people, it was 2 to 3% of people actually accomplish what they say they're going to do. And yet every year, we do it. And even if you say, oh, I don't like New Year's resolutions, or I don't want to set a goal, I can guarantee you in your mind you're saying, well, this year I'd really like to do X, Y, and Z. Or this year I'd really like to lose some more weight. Or this year I'd like to save more money. You may be thinking that and not making it a resolution, but it's still on our mind. So when I was thinking about what to preach on, there was nothing that came to mind more than, let's talk about goals. And when I was thinking about that, I wanted to see what the top 2024 New Year's resolutions were. And we're going to start with number five. Number five was to lose weight. It's always up there. It's a classic. Um, I think every year that's on mine as well. And then number four, I actually really like this one, but it was to spend more time with family. It was a nice one. Number three goes right hand in hand with the first or the fifth one. It says to eat healthier. That's definitely even my New Year's resolution this year. I love junk food and I love desserts. I should eat more carrots and salads and stuff, but I'm not a rabbit. I'm a human. Um, and the second one was to exercise more. So now there was a lot of them up there that have to do with our physical health. And then the number one, which this year was different than the other years, was to save money. Which, I mean, makes sense. We're in financial uncertainty. There's a lot of people who have unfortunately lost their jobs. It makes more sense that people want to save more money this year just because we don't know what's going to happen. But as I was looking at this, I was like, this list seems awfully familiar. Because almost every year, there's some article that comes down and says, these are the top five resolutions. So I didn't list it down, but I went back to 2023. And if you moved save money to the number five spot and moved everything else down, the list was exactly the same. And then I went back to 2022, because I was like, it can't be the same every year. 2022 was the same exact thing, except for save money, they said be more financially savvy or something. So it's the same thing, they just changed the wording of it. I went back to 2020, it was the same exact thing. 2019, 2018, 2017, 2016, 2014, 2012, 2010, 20, 2008 was the last time that in this list from Statistica, or whatever it was, there was some website, it was Statista. Um, was the last time there was a different top five than there has been in the past 10 years. So it's almost been 20 years, it's really 18 years, 17 years, since there has been a change in the top five resolutions, which really got me to thinking, what's the point? 
the number that of stats that they were actually going for people was about 2,000 people they took the research from. So that means out of 2,000 people, even if after 10 years only 5% of the people actually accomplished their goal, that list would have to change. But it never changed. So this year, I want to challenge us in a different way. Instead of setting the same old resolutions that we all have, we want to lose more weight, we want to exercise more, we want to eat healthier, we want to save money, we want to spend more time with our family, we all want to do these things. And these things are great, I'm not saying don't do that, but instead of focusing narrowly on just these things that year over year only one person this entire congregation has actually accomplished, maybe we should be focusing on something that is more important and something that I'm going to be calling for this sermon, God goals. It habits and goals that actually matter. They matter more than anything else. Because honestly, the resolutions we make, the stat is 80% of them are already failed by January 19th. Two and a half weeks, that's nothing. That means we only ate salad, salads or we only ate that other things for two and a half weeks. That's absolutely nothing. That's assuming we actually started on the first. So this year, instead of half-heartedly making these promises that we're, this year is going to be different, I'm going to read more books. I'm going to eat less. I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to the gym every single day. Instead of continuing to say that, why don't we change the way we view it and view it as a time to set goals that glorify God? Goals that ultimately are going forth and transforming us to become more and more like Christ. These goals that have value now, but also in eternity. So before we really begin, we also have to define what God goals are. And God goals, very simply, they're spiritual disciplines. I just thought God goals sounded better. It was easier to remember. It sounded, it fitted with this, but it's really spiritual disciplines. And during this entire message, I'm going to be going back and forth between spiritual disciplines and God goals. But spiritual disciplines is something we often throw around. We say, oh, you should pray more. You should read your Bible more. You should focus on your spiritual disciplines. But we never really define what it actually is. So I want to spend the first portion of this message defining what spiritual disciplines are. And then after that, I want to take a look at five spiritual disciplines that we see in Jesus' life. There's many more than five, but we don't want to be here all day, so we're going to focus on five. And then from there, we're going to find very applicable points that we can all focus on. So the first thing we're going to do is define what spiritual disciplines are. And very simple, spiritual disciplines are scripture-based practices that promote spiritual growth. Scripture-based meaning that they have to be in scripture. I can't say, man, I really like gardening, and that's my spiritual practice because I enjoy it. That's not in Scripture. That's not a Scripture-based practice. That may bring you closer to God because of nature, and you may be in that time praying to him and focusing on him, but the fact of gardening is not your spiritual discipline. It has to be found in Scripture. So it has to be found somewhere in the Bible. It has to be shown through example. It has to be shown written out flat out, or it has to be shown in Jesus' life. But it has to be scripturally based. And then the next part of this definition says practices, meaning that this isn't characteristics or the fruits of the Spirit. This isn't just things that we all resemble or things we want to become like. These are actual practices that we can all accomplish, that we can all do. They're actual activities in the same way that if you were to work out, your end goal may to be get really big or get fit or lose a couple pounds, but the practices you're going towards is going to the gym every single day, is following your workout routine. It's the practices that you can actually accomplish. So it's not the characteristics we're going after, it's the practices we want to. And the last part is it promotes spiritual growth, meaning that it moves us towards our ultimate goal as Christians of becoming more like God and becoming, not more like God, but becoming more like Christ and exemplifying those characteristics of him. 
to glorify him more and more. And that's why these spiritual disciplines are so important because it helps us transform ourselves into our old selves, the sinful person, into the new self Christ tells us we are. So that's my challenge this year is to really focus on these spiritual disciplines, our God goals. And we read about their importance in the message in the Bible verse we had today, which was 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 10. I'm going to read it one, one more time. It reads, Have nothing to do with irrelevant, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while, God, while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. As it holds promises for the present life, and for the life to come. This saying is true, trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. To this we end toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially those who believe. This is talking about spiritual disciplines. It's talking about how our bodily training has some efforts. We can get bigger, we can get skinnier, we can get more fit, we can get in more vascular escape, we could stay alive longer, we could be healthier longer, that's great, but ultimately when we die, it's over. We don't take these bodies into heaven in the exact way they are now. These principles that people focus on so much, and in fact, there was three of the five principles every single year for New Year's resolutions, was to train our physical body. Yet that is not what has the most value. What it says here is training for godliness has value for the present, for me and you right now, but also for eternity. These are the values, these are the goals, these are the principles that hold value forever. And ultimately, as we go into this new year, these are the things that we should be focusing on. And I really like, everyone's heard of how, and I just said it before, but when you're created new in God, you are created new. You're created new, you're created perfect, you're created awesome in his eyes, and yet we walk through his life and we're still sinning all the time, and yet we feel like we've fallen short. And the way we change from our sinful selves to our God-honoring selves is very simply by practicing spiritual disciplines. And the only way we can do that is what we read about in 2 Corinthians 3.18. It reads, And we all with, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image of one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The way we transform ourselves isn't by our own effort of saying, I'm just going to read the Bible more, I'm just going to keep praying more, I'm just going to keep doing this. It's through the Holy Spirit. The only reason we're able to do these spiritual disciplines or these God goals we're going to be talking about is because God has created us new. And the way we transform ourselves into that image that we want to be, that we want to be glorifying to God, is by ultimately praying more, reading the Bible more, serving more, being community more, and the more we do these things that, honestly, if you guys have ever sat down and tried to read the Bible, it can be difficult at times. Netflix is calling my name. Instagram is calling my name. People are texting me. There's so many things that I could be distracted with that seem like it's so much better to do. But that's because it's of my old self. It wants to focus on myself. It's my sinful old self focusing on what it wants to. But when instead I focus on these God goals, and I say, I'm actually going to do this, and I take a step forward, I start to become more like Christ. I said, I'm going to keep doing that. And you're fighting off the old and putting on the new. That's why these God goals are so important. That's why it's important, I think, this year, instead of going forward with those half-hearted sayings of, I'm going to lose weight or I'm going to read more books, instead of saying, I'm going to read more romance novels, say, I'm going to read more books of the Bible. Instead of saying that I'm going to lose more weight, say, I'm going to focus on God even more. Instead of saying all these things that honestly just don't have that much weight. Instead of saying, I'm going to save more, 
say, I'm going to give more, of changing these goals from self-focused and ourselves-focused to God-focused, because that is what brings us closer to him, and that is the challenge this year as we enter this year to truly focus on him. So now that we have a good idea of what spiritual disciplines are, or in this case, God goals, again, they're synonymous, they're the same thing, but it is spiritual or scripturally-based practices that promote us to grow, to know, to see, and to become more like Christ. And we see all of that, and again, we're going to go into five very practical ways, but I want us to be able to walk out of this and know how we can practice these spiritual disciplines. We're going to walk away with five of them. These five are not a complete list. There's some lists that are 12, there's some that are 20, there's some that are 60. There's a lot of different spiritual disciplines that people list. I'm only going to list five, and the way I boiled that down is the five that I saw Jesus do the most during his life. Because again, our example, our goal is to become more like Christ, and the way we can do that is by examining his life. So the first God goal we have is learning and Bible study. And we obviously see this significantly in Christ's life, but one of the places I love to see it the most was in Luke 2, verses 46 through 47. It reads, After three days they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. This was after Mary and Joseph lost Jesus and realized three days later, which today now your kid would be taken away from you. But back then it was, I guess, just a normal part of life. They lost him for three days and realized, wow, we should go find him. Um, they went to find him. Instead of him being on a corner doing whatever he wants, he was in the synagogue. He was listening to the teachers. He was asking questions. He was seeking God's word. He knew it back and forth. He knew it so well that when the Pharisees and the Sadducees tried to trap him with questions that were considered impossible, he found an answer in Scripture. He knew his Bible so well. And this wasn't just, yes, he was God, so he knew it, but this wasn't just God giving him those answers. This was him studying and understanding it from a young age, as you see here. The place he went to at a young age when he was lost and alone wasn't just an uncle's house or a cousin's house. There was other family there that he could have gone to. He went to the church. He studied the word, and it said that his understanding of it was amazing. So if we see this in Christ's life, we should also be doing this. But if we see in Christ's life, we should also be doing it because we see other truths about Scripture in Scripture, which is great. But we see it in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. It reads, All Scripture is breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It's saying training in righteousness and being equipped for every good work ultimately comes from Scripture. Because Scripture doesn't come from man, Scripture comes from God. Scripture was inspired and is inerrant and is from Christ and from God, and it is written to us to show us, to equip us, to reprove us, to change us, to correct us, to give us those spiritual disciplines that change us from our old to our new. So scripture is really important, and yet sometimes I feel like we complicate it more than we have to when we go to apply it. There's youth students who ask me all the time, I want to read more Bible, I want to read more scripture, and sometimes I find myself being like, okay, what should I tell them? Because I go immediately to grab a study Bible and just read. That's a little too simple, but at the same time, I don't want to make it so complex when I'm telling them to study the Greek or the lexicon or all these things that's going to bore them. And I do like simplicity. Because when it comes to simplicity, we're more likely to follow through. So I'm going to give us some ways we can truly practice reading the Bible. And you're going to listen to this and you're going to be like, I knew that, but it's a great reminder. 
The first one is to get a Bible. It's very simple. If you don't have a Bible, get a Bible. If you don't, want, if you don't have a Bible and you don't have the funds to get a Bible, download the Bible app. If you don't like a Bible app, come to me or any of the others and I will buy you a Bible personally because we want you to have a Bible. And there's a lot of Bibles out there and we could get a lot into translations, whatever translation you like. I know if you're a beginning Christian, NLT, NIV, ESV, or CSB are all great translations that are very easy to read and they all have great study Bibles that go along with them. So feel free to grab any of those if you're confused on what I just said. It's a bunch of translations, but just look through it, download the Bible app and get a Bible, whether it's on your phone or whether it's in your hand. If it's on my phone, I can't pay attention. So if you're better than me, maybe you can. But after you have your Bible, pick a time. Pick a time frame for how long you're going to read, but also pick a time of day that you're going to read. Because this starts to create a habit of saying every day when I wake up, instead of going on my phone and scrolling through Instagram, I sit there and now read the Bible. It creates a habit that automatically says, okay, nine o'clock rolled around, I'm going to stop everything else and I'm going to read the Bible for 30 minutes. So we need to start with the Bible, with a time, a length of time, but also a time of day. And then the third one is a place. If you guys are anything like me, I create habits by doing these three things, by creating a habit, ultimately by picking a time and picking a place. Because if I try to sit down at my kitchen table where I do everything else and try to read my Bible, I get distracted by everything. But, and being a pastor, it's a little bit easier. When I get into the office, don't turn on my computer, sit down at my desk or at my chair, and read the Bible for the first 30 minutes before I do anything else, I now have that habit and I don't feel like I can work until I've done that because I've built that up time after time and time again. Now, I know you guys are at secular jobs and some of you guys are parents who have kids who are running around and you feel like you have no free time, which is probably pretty true. But if you work in an office, show up 30 minutes early. Bring a Bible. Buy a, buy a Bible just for your office and read it there. If that's the only quiet place you can have that you can create your habit, do it. What an amazing testimony that would be to your coworkers who come in early to see you reading your Bible before you ever start work. That would be amazing, but you ultimately need a place. Because if you just say, I'm gonna read my Bible, it's gonna be just like those New Year's resolutions, where only 3% actually accomplish it, because we don't have the goal. And then the last one is also very simple, the last point to reading your Bible, is you need a plan. When I was a kid, and I'm sure we have all done this, but I'm not proud of it, you just kind of flip the Bible open and you pick a random scripture and you read it. You get some weird stuff and you get things that don't make sense because you're not really reading the Bible in context. There's a lot of Bible reading plans. Pastor Lee's put out a Bible reading plan a year through the Bible. There's plenty of you version. You can just type online Bible reading plan. You can go through a book of the Bible. You can go through a person of the Bible. You can go through timelines of the Bible. You can go through the gospels of the Bible. You can go through the Bible in the entire year. There's a lot of plans, but just pick one and stick with it. And my suggestion for if it's one of your first times doing a Bible plan is do a quick one. Do one that's a week or two just so you can get it accomplished and then move on to the next one. And one that has really been helping me, it's not a real plan, but it put Bible reading in perspective for me, is I'm calling it the episode challenge just because I feel like everything needs a name. But it dawned upon me when I had one Friday off and it was raining outside so I felt like I could do nothing and I just sat down and watched some TV show I don't even remember the name of and next thing I looked at the clock and it was three or four hours later. I know we've all done that, but it got me to thinking, if I just dedicated that time to reading the Bible, how quickly would I actually read the Bible? So most episodes now are 45 minutes. The shorter ones are about 20 minutes. I average it down just to 30 minutes. But if we spent every single day 
30 minutes straight reading the Bible, and the average reading rate is 250 words per minute, which means in 30 minutes you're reading 7,500 words. The ESV Bible in the entirety is 750,000 words. That means in 100 days you'd be done with the Bible. Most people feel like reading the Bible in a year is impossible. But if we truly just sat down for the same amount of time that we watch The Office or Superstore or any one of these other TV shows we see, we would be done reading the Bible in 100 days. And at first I felt like that was impossible, so I actually sat down and tried to do it. And I have missed a few days, but it is more than possible. And it is truly amazing. And that just puts it in perspective. You don't have to do this reading plan, but if you want to, it's very simple. You just literally sit down at Genesis, set a timer for 30 minutes, read until the timer stops, pause it there, and pick up the next day. It's a great, easy, simple reading plan. You can do that or any other plan, but at least put it in perspective when I said, I don't feel like I have enough time to read the Bible. We definitely do. And it's important because it ultimately transforms us into becoming more like God. So then the second principle we have is often one that we will say as well when we want to grow with God, but it is prayer. It is praying to God, and we see this all throughout Jesus' life. Uh, one of the times that I picked out was Luke 5, 16. It reads, but Jesus often went away to be by himself and pray. This was something that we see all the time. Before Jesus ever started his ministry, he went out to pray. He went out for 40 days in the desert. He fasted. He prayed. He focused on that. Before he chose his disciples, what did he do? He prayed. Before he went onto the cross and got captured, what did he do? He prayed. As he was on the cross, what did he do? He prayed. Jesus prayed a lot. And he didn't just pray by himself. He also prayed with others. In Luke 9, 28, we read, Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Prayer is something that we will always say is very important. We even go up to our brothers and sisters in Christ and say, hey, can you pray for me? We say yes. We go about our days five minutes later and completely forgot what they said and didn't pray for them. Prayer is something that is very simple. It's a communication between you and God, and yet sometimes we forget to do it. In prayer, one of the things that I love about prayer is the truth that we read in Hebrews 4, 15 through 16, where it reads, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need saying that we're not just praying to this God that is high and mighty and never experienced anything that we have gone through. He has been on this earth. He has walked this earth. He has seen what we have seen. He has been tempted in every way. He has grieved in the same ways as us. He has experienced pain in the same ways of us, and we have access to him, the God of this universe. If I could even talk to someone who created a giant structure, if you could talk to an architect who created any building in New York City, I would have a thousand questions for them because I'm fascinated by that. If you pick anything like that, if you pick even just a wooden table that was handmade, you would have thousands of questions for the person who made that. Yet we have access to God. We have access to the creator of absolutely everything, and sometimes we ignore praying. And that's why I think it's a really great God goal to focus on. Now, I do want also to give some practical ways, just in the same way we gave the practical way for reading the Bible on prayer. And one of the ways I, it's actually as I was driving here today, I'm forgetting my notes on what I had for the application, but I was thinking about back in college. My first year of college was sent all in Israel and archaeology. And Mark, I'm going to ask you for a name in a second of something that I hope you'll know because I forgot what it was. But on the doorpost, 
and on the gates of every Jewish house, there's a little box that has a scroll in it. Do you remember the name of that, Mark? Mezuzah. Mezuzah, yes. So my professor, who was a Christian man, he was never Jewish, but just loved the study of Judaism and loved Israel and taught us all about it, gave us a challenge at the beginning of the year. He gave us two of those mezuzahs and said, put it on the inside of your dorm room and the outside of your dorm room. And every time you walk out, you pray for the people who are out there, the people you're going to see, the people you're going to meet, the people that you're going to interact with. And every time you come in, you pray for the people inside your house. You said that could be your roommate, that could be your sister, that could be your brother, that could be everyone. And as I was driving here today, that memory came back. I was like, what a great way to practice prayer. Every time you leave your house, every time you start your car, you pray for the people you're going to go see right now. You pray for the people that you may see, whether you're getting gas, whether you're going to the grocery store, you pray that God will give you opportunities to share his grace with them. And then as you come back, you pray for your family. You pray for yourself. You pray for your loved ones. You pray for those who are close to you. And honestly, that trumped every other application point I had here. I had take a walk and create a habit. But honestly, I think that idea of praying every time you physically exit your house and physically come into your house is an amazing reminder to pray. So now we get on to our third application point and our third God goal, and it's silence and solitude. It is an uncomfortable one. One that I feel like we would like to say is not a spiritual discipline at all. And I will say I'm going to try to keep this one short because I have a whole series that I'm planning on this that will be four or five sermons in a row. And I don't want to stay here for another five hours with you guys. I love you guys, but we all have things to do. But I think this one is one that has been forgotten on purpose because we don't experience silence and we also view silence and solitude as a punishment. When we were kids, or even sometimes as adults, I'll be guilty as this well, when someone says something we don't like, we give them the silent treatment. Or when someone's in prison, the worst punishment they can get is solitary confinement. To be alone, to be away from everyone. So we view silence as this very scary thing. But God and Jesus doesn't. We read about this in Mark 1.35. In rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went away to a desolate place, and there he play, prayed. A desolate place literally means a place without sound, a place without noise, a place without distractions, away from the daily life. And what's really cool about this verse is specifically Jesus was just starting his ministry. He was just starting everything he was doing, and he literally had people standing around the town, sleeping outside, waiting to hear what he said next. He had people who came from all the towns around and was waiting at every single word he was going to say. And instead of waking up and preaching to them immediately, he got up and ran away. He went to a desolate place. He went to a place of silence and solitude. And this isn't the only time we see this from Jesus. We see it many other times. And I believe I did list them out. But we see it as he prepares for what's going to happen next. We see it as he goes out and he's exhausted and he needs to recharge we see it when he is in extreme grief. When he's feeling pain, he goes to a quiet place. We see it as he prepares for a decision, he goes away to a quiet place. As he's handling difficult circumstances and situations, he goes away to a quiet place. And as he wants to focus on prayer, because everyone knows it's hard to focus on prayer when Netflix or the TV and there's a thousand things going on, he goes to a quiet place. It's something that he does so often, and yet we almost 
never do. Because we never find silence or solitude on our own. We're never just going to be going throughout the day and all of a sudden look around and be like, wow, I wasn't on my phone, I wasn't watching TV, there wasn't noise in the background, there wasn't 20 people around there, that's never going to happen. It has to be intentional. And it ultimately helps us to listen to God, helps us to rely on him, helps us to reflect on what has happened in the past and what may happen in the future. And it ultimately recharges us. Very quickly this summer I had a great escape. It was four days away at one of my dad's old co-workers' place. They left for a week and I was able to go away just myself and no one else for four days. This was right as the summer was ending and the school year was starting and I was planning everything for youth ministry and trying to get ideas and I just felt like my brain was fried. I went away for four days and I wasn't as great about seeking silence as I could, but I read, I think, two and a half books and I sat there around a pond just reflecting and recharging. And in those four days, I came back with more ideas about ministry than I did in the three weeks beforehand. I came back ready for this year more than I have felt like I've been ready in the years past. And that's just an example of my own life, but I know many others and many other pastors who get away for a month at a time or a couple weeks at a time, and they feel recharged. And my challenge for all of us is to do that. Now, I know getting away for a four-day weekend when you have kids of any age is extremely difficult. But getting away for an hour, getting away for 30 minutes, going to a park where no one else is, going to the woods, just sitting in your car, is all possible. And it is well needed because it gives us a break from this fast-paced life that we live. And this such fast-paced life that sometimes we forget to sit. And I often say this is the simplest application of them all. You literally just have to do nothing. Just sit there, don't turn on the TV, don't bring your phone, just sit there and let your mind go. You can pray, you can focus on God, you can do whatever you want in that aspect, but don't bring any distractions. It's easy, and yet we never do it. And I think this year, we should focus on doing that more and more. So as I said, I could continue to talk about this in many different aspects, but look forward to a year from now or whenever it is, there will be a whole series on this topic. But the fourth spiritual discipline or God goal we have is serving. And this is an easy one to see in Christ's life because he literally came to serve us. He washed his disciples' feet, but he did much more than that, and that's what we read about in Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. God literally came as a human not to be praised as he should have been, because he is God and he is Lord and he is King, but he came to be the lowest of lows. He came to serve his disciples, to love his disciples, to love and serve absolutely everyone, and that is ultimately our calling, too. And we read about this in 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11. It reads, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We, each of us, has been given a different gift by God. Different passions, different service, different skills, different abilities. We are different from the person to the left or the right or in front or behind you on purpose. We're not supposed to be uniform. We're not supposed to all be the same. We are different on purpose, and that is so that we can serve in different areas. 
some of you guys may be, and I see it with our youth ministry, extremely gifted at serving youth. And I'm very grateful for that. Some of you guys are very gifted at prayer. Some of you guys are very gifted at serving others. Some of you guys are very gifted in many different areas of ministry. And it's important to use that gift because ultimately it comes from God. And by using that gift, by serving others, we are stewarding the grace, the gift, the abilities that he has given us. It's exactly like the talent of the parable, or the talent, the parable of the talents where God gives the talent to the man and the one who does absolutely nothing. He says, you did nothing, but the guy who gave it and, okay, that's not in my notes and it's escaped my mind, so I'm going to not talk about that. Um, but yes, so it's important for us all to get served, and I often say this about missions and anything else and purpose in life, is your service field, the area you're supposed to be serving, is what is directly in front of you now. If you're at work, if you're at your job, that's where you're supposed to be serving. If you're on the missions field, that's where you're supposed to be serving. If you're at the grocery store, that's where you're supposed to be serving. If you're with your family, that's where you're supposed to be serving. There are always opportunities to serve and instead of looking for this ideal place that, oh, I'm going to be able to use all my gifts and abilities in this specific ministry, this specific area, look to what is in front of you right now and think about how can I serve my neighbors? How can I serve my family? How can I serve my coworkers? How can I serve that random person at the grocery store who just looks like they're having a bad day? To think about service in this way changes the way that we serve and the way that we view it. And then there is also an importance to serve in the local church, to serve in edifying the body of God. That could look like leading a small group, that could look like joining young adults and leading that, that could look like joining youth group and being a leader of that, that could look like serving as we have probably seven or eight, maybe more, 10, 12 people downstairs serving in children's church right now. We can always use help and it is to grow God's body. It is to edify the body of the church and it is to use those gifts that God has given us to serve and love others. And now we get to the last of the application points and the thing that we see in Jesus' life, and that is community. Now you see this in Jesus. I didn't pick a specific scripture because you see it throughout all of his life. But very importantly, Jesus, before he ever got started with his ministry, picked four disciples and surrounded himself with that community. And very quickly, after about two miracles and a couple sermons, he found the twelve or the eight others, and surrounded himself with 12 disciples that would follow him from the beginning of his life to the end of his life. A community that was there to love on him, to serve him, to be there with him, and to do life with him. This is what our church is for. To find the people that we can surround ourselves with. The people who are going to edify each and every one of us and ultimately encourage and build us up to become more like Christ. We read about this in Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. It says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as it is a habit of some, but encourage one another, and all the more you see the day drawing near. It is saying we cannot neglect meeting together, and it is great to meet together now like we are right now. It's even greater, in my opinion, to go have a bagel with someone downstairs, to go have a cup of coffee with someone downstairs. It's even greater to join a small group of people that are going to actually check in on you every single day and say, hey, I know you're going through a difficult time. I just want to pray for you. I just want to text you today and make sure you're okay. 
to have that group of community that is going to help each and every one of us build up and edify ourselves so that we can become more like Christ is extremely important. And very simply, you can do that by coming every Sunday. But not just coming to service and leaving. I understand there's a lot of obligations people have. But coming to service, we have free bagels downstairs. We have coffee. We're trying to entice you down there. It's not a secret. We're trying to get you downstairs. Because we think that is so important to what a church is supposed to be. Now, if you guys say, I'll only come down there for steak, let me know. I'll cook you a steak. I'll buy you a steak. You want gluten-free bagels? I'll bring a gluten-free bagel. I want to serve you guys. I want to make it a great place for you guys to come down there so you can experience the fellowship in the community that we have as a church. We often say our middle name at Montclair Community Church is community because we want to focus on that. Now, there's also small groups you can join. And there's plenty of small groups, and it's not a small group that fits your need or fits what you want. Talk to one of the pastors and elders. I can guarantee you there's someone else in this church that has the same desires as you. And if there's enough people, we can start a small group that fits what you want and fits the needs and desires that you feel you need. And then the last two, or last one, is find a mentor. Find someone who has been in this Christian walk longer than you have. Someone that you can look up to and say, I feel like that person is spiritually mature, and I want to learn from them. Find them. I can personally vouch for all the elders and the pastors of this church. I view them all as mentors, and they are great people. You can view them or anyone else. Maybe it's a leader of a small group. It can be a lot of people. And I'm going to give a tip and trick to everyone here as well, something that I took advantage of in college, is if you invite a pastor out to lunch, 99% of the times, they pay. <laughs> if, so if you want free lunch, if you want a free coffee, I'll actually guarantee 100% of the time, I'll pay as long as you don't ask me every single week. Um, I don't have the budget for that. But it is great to get connected with people who are more mature, who have walked this walk with you. I know the elders and the pastors would love to be mentors to anyone we can. But there's also plenty of great people here who are not elders or pastors who are spiritually mature and have been on this walk. And you just pray for God, and he will show you who is there. But it is important to have those mentors and to also have that community of people that we can walk our life together in Christ. So very simply, I'm going to wrap up now, but I want you guys to, f eh, maybe I don't want to, let me think. I want you guys to forget everything I said besides one thing, but I'm not going to tell you what that one thing is. So the goals we set, and it was one of the stats I read about New Year's resolutions, the people who set five or more goals failed almost every single one of them. The people who set one resolution succeeded at a higher percentage chance than the people who set five. Now, I didn't emphasize any of those spiritual practices and those God goals more than the other. I might have talked about it more, but they're all extremely important. But I can guarantee you one of those stuck out to you. That's not me doing that. That's God doing that. That is the goal that you should be focusing on this year. So remember that one thing. And if nothing stuck out to you, pray about it or just pick one and say, I'm going to focus on this this year. Make that one God goal your New Year's resolution, saying, I'm going to practice this with all my heart, my soul, and my mind, with the guideline that this is supposed to bring us closer to Christ. So forget everything else I said. I know you never want to hear a pastor say that. But remember at least one of those goals and truly seek that with everything you have so that we as a church and as individuals can become more and more like Christ with the ultimate goal of glorifying him more and more each day. Let's pray. God, we thank you for loving us and also for giving us the greatest example of Christ. 
an example of perfect spirituality, a perfect human who lived a life on this earth and showed us how to live it, but beyond us showed us why we live this earth and why we suffer pain and uncomfort, Lord. All of this and even these God goals we talk about is to glorify you with the ultimate purpose of giving you glory, Lord. We thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for each and every one of us of giving that perfect gift, Lord. And we don't do any of this out of obligation. We don't do any of this to earn your love or to earn your grace. We do it all because we love you, Lord. And we understand what a great sacrifice you made for each and every one of us, Lord. And we thank you for that, Lord. And we will repay you by giving you glory in everything we do, in every goal we set, in every God goal we accomplish this year. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome.